At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. Uh, right now, we're doing the usual, uh, previewing ACC football this summer. Um, and today, we actually have a sponsor. Uh, today's sponsor is Audible.com, who you may be familiar with. They're a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Uh, anytime you guys want, you can listen to uh, audiobooks pretty much wherever, whenever. Um, and actually, uh, because they're a sponsor, we actually get a nice up for all of our listeners. You get a free book when you sign up today. Uh, it's a 30-day free trial, and you can go to um, audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. Uh, we'll share that information with you guys again and share the link in the uh, post as well. Can you pass that? Dan, how are you? How's it going? Good, good. Sorry to ambush you with sponsorship messages. But... No, it's, I'm glad we're, we're dead Official over here. We got sponsors, we got guests uh, through the next couple of weeks. So, it's good times on the podcast here. Guys, we we, we are real now. We, we've officially we, we've officially entered actual actual thing that may be considered a miniature business. Yeah, and we have Georgetown back on the basketball schedule. So, not to, not the to rain on the parade of Duke, who we'll talk about today, but. You know, Georgetown was our first uh, our first team to, that we love to hate. So glad to have that back, and glad that we're not going to have to play the donate fifty dollars to women sailing to go to the game type thing that Dr. Gross said uh, they figured out this week, which is good. Yeah, as much as uh, as much as we do love our new love uh, Duke, you can never forget your first love, and in, in our case, that that love is hatred. And that team is Georgetown. Yeah, just so much history. History, the yelling, the Jim Beheim faces on the on the sideline. All of it is just uh, it, it's just rushing back already, and, and I just think there's very few Syracuse fans that are sad about this. No, or Georgetown fans, which is funny because as much as we just give each other crap for about anything and everything. The two sides were so so happy to have this back, um, and uh, with with the announcement that we're not going to have to donate or buy ticket packages, uh, it'll be nice that the Verizon Center will be its rightful color uh, when we go down there in 2015. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to a 70% orange uh, Verizon Center come yeah. 2015 or 2016, I guess depending on when the game ends up being. Um, I do plan on trying to get to one of these games, but that's a long ways out, so I'm not going to start planning it yet. Yeah, well, we got to figure out when it is, but if it's a feasible, hopefully it's like a nice uh, primetime weekend type deal. It's not like a random Wednesday night so people can get down to D.C. for it. Um, but, yeah, very exciting. Now, you know, we have Villanova on the schedule. We have St. John's on the schedule. Yeah, so this whole ACC thing, it's not quite the same, but we're figuring it out. We're making the best of it. I think – I forget who it was that commented today. Uh, I think it was 
Syracuse 2012 who said, like, among all these schools, Syracuse is doing an incredibly good job of trying to maintain the history and the rivalries where you see, like, Missouri and Kansas who hate each other, if not just as much, maybe even more so than, than Syracuse-Georgetown. That, that's, like, a historical rivalry that goes beyond sports, and they won't play each other in things. Um, but Syracuse has figured out how to keep their rivalries intact for the most part, which is nice. Yeah, and I mean, you know, with all the hand-wringing, all the nonsense um, during realignment, that was uh, that was the one thing I, I was concerned about, but I had a feeling Syracuse would, would do a better job than most. I think, you know, at least we weren't in a conference that was necessarily predicated on geography to begin with. Um, I think that helped us a lot. It wasn't as if we had, um, you know, it wasn't as if we had this uh, these, like, you know, right-next-door rivals for the most part that we were just suddenly abandoning for greener pastures. I mean, it was, we were already in a shell of a conference, and then we, uh, all of our closest rivals aren't really that close to us um, at all. I mean, I'd say our closest rivals, you know, schools like Cornell and and uh, Colgate are, are schools that we've kind of left from the dust um, in terms of rivalries for years. So so I think we were we were at a, at a slight advantage over most in that, um, and I think it's also entertaining that the... Uh, the only school that really gets screwed in all of this is, is once again, UConn. Yeah, well, there's really not a lot of upside to playing them. They're not in a great area. Um, it's not a place we recruit a lot of. Um, I hate to admit it, but they're probably harder. I mean, they, they give us a, probably more of a challenge. Uh, and I, probably, I wouldn't have said this before they won the national championship, but I'd much rather take my shot with a Nova or a St. John's or a Georgetown than with a UConn. Um, I probably felt differently a couple months ago, but now it's pretty clear that they're still going to be good for a couple of years at least. Um, there's just not a lot of reason to schedule UConn. The other ones bring more intangibles. Um, and, you know, we don't have a huge alumni base in Hartford that's dying to get to a game at the Cell Center that they can't, you know, get down to New York or get over to Philly or something. No, it's true. I, I, I would I would agree with you. I think things have changed in the last couple of months, but I would – I would very much lump UConn into a, into the unnecessary challenge um, that really doesn't provide any any advantage to us. Um, Connecticut's not a huge area for recruiting. Um, again, you know, worst case we're we're stuffed in um, in a small gym in Hartford. Best case we're in Madison Square Garden in a 50-50 crowd. Um, they, they are, by all intents and purposes, like a high mid-major, um, well, in at least a high mid-major conference. Um, there is no upside to beating them. There's only an ups- there's only very very uh, bad downside to losing to them. So uh, yeah, and that'll sure be instead of if we scheduled a game with UConn tomorrow, I'd be excited. Like it's not that I don't want to play them; it's just I understand why we probably won't be playing them. Right, I think that's the big thing here is that. You know, there are strategic reasons to play all the rest. There is not necessarily for for UConn. And again, that's for us. That's a product of of being in a league that was created by television markets, not not by geography. Because for everyone else, it's you know all these considerations are kind of like we get to sit down and go, oh well, all of our rivals that are in major cities that we can't that we may or may not want to continue like recruiting in and continue being active in. Well, everyone else, it's do I want to play against this school who I hate? I think they go to Texas, Texas A&M, that goes for Missouri and Kansas. Um, it goes to West Virginia and Pitt. Like, the, the only 
the only concern is the hatred. For us, there, there are a lot of other factors, and I think that's actually been to our advantage um, as we try to keep history intact. Yeah, and we have kind of history-minded people. Um, I mean, Dr. Gross, obviously rivalry is such a big part of branding in college basketball and college sports that Dr. Gross is always going to be mindful of that, um, if just for business reasons. And then Bayheim has literally been a part of every rivalry we've ever had, and so he knows intimately why the series should or should not continue. So we have, the, I think, the right people on board, and we're not just, like, changing through coaches and uh, athletic directors every couple of years. So people understand, you know, what, what's going on here. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree there. And I guess we'll get back to basketball, I'm sure. Why don't we jump into the jump into football a little bit? Uh, so Duke was surprising last year. Not as surprising to us, but uh, but, but still surprising nonetheless. Um, yeah, I want to re- just rehash that for everyone one more time. Um, well, basically, going into last season, we did this, and for whatever reason, we both – uh, to differing degrees, kind of like Duke, just based on they brought a good amount of their roster back. Um, I believe they were a bowl team two years ago. They were six and six, and they lost to Cincinnati in the Belk Bowl, I think. Um, one of the bowls in that area. And they just weren't quite as bad as people, um, you know, as a program historically is, and they seem to have some upside. Um, they wound up going 10 and four last year, um, and really very close to 11 and three. Uh, because they really should have beaten Texas A&M. And that's, like, there, there's two sides of the Duke coin where, A, they basically just kind of cleaned up against the teams they should have beaten. Um, and they, you know, when they played, like, a Florida State, they got blown out about as bad as we did. But, and then they got pretty lucky in some games. So there was definitely a luck factor, and they probably weren't a 10-win team. But they were, like, a 7- or 8-win team and a, a pretty decent one at that. And, you don't have Texas A&M up against the ropes like they did without being at least pretty good. So, um, I don't know. I, I think Duke is very primed for regression this year uh, just because they won some games in, in strange fashions and, and pulled out some, you know, a couple of games where a normal team would have lost. They they, they definitely got, uh, I don't know exactly what the, Pythag- the Pythagorean estimate for them would be, but I'm sure it was probably closer to eight wins. But So, they, they'll probably fall back to that this year, but... I don't know if they're going to be significantly worse than they were last year. It's just things probably will shake out a little differently. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a pretty accurate assessment just, you know, from a bird's eye view. Um, I mean, they, they lost some pieces. Uh, you know, they lost a big part of a non-existent running game in uh, Jalen Duncan. Um, I think the biggest loss is, is really is really Ross Costa. Cockrell um, over at the cornerback position, uh, who, who made a huge, huge impact throughout his career at Duke, and really only, uh, I mean, people people understood uh, when he was a junior, but I think seeing him last year on a 10 win team, that's kind of when the, the spotlight started started shining on him specifically. Um, but I think those losses, I think part, some of them can be offset by um, Anthony Boone's progression, but then there's also a caveat with Boone that last year he had. Um, Brandon Connett um, in the backfield to kind of spell him and, and really, you know, shoulder some of the load in, in terms of running the football um, for the quarterback position. And now Boone's going to ha- kind of have to be a little more mobile on his own um, without the fear of Connett um, 
coming in there. So I, I am very curious to see how that offense shakes out and defense shakes out. And I mean, we're going to go into both, but I, I part of me thinks they offset each other, but part of me thinks that because there's a bit of a, uh, I think there's a bit of a, a groundswell in, in the coastal. Just everyone, well, no one's g- getting significantly better than anyone else. I think everyone is improving collectively, and I think that might catch up to them this year. Yeah. And it's just, um, it's actually interesting. I'm now looking at both Honley did this preview a couple of days ago on Duke. Um, he actually has their adjusted record also at 10 and 4, um, where he, they, they would gain wins at Texas A&M and, uh, Pitt, where they lost 58-55, which is ridiculous that Pitt scored 58 points in a game, but they would lose the wins. They, they, they squeaked out against Virginia Tech 13-10, and then, he has them at an adjusted loss at NC State. They won by 18. Um, I don't remember too much about that game, but I think it was NC State probably had some crazy turnovers or something. So they had, a, you know, I guess the math bears that they were pretty much who they the their record says they are. They were, but um, I still think this is a team like you said. Uh, the coastal is kind of more more even than the Atlantic is, as we've talked about with Syracuse's situation, and it's just unlikely that they'll have the same the same luck that they had last year. Um, but they should still be good. I, I think they're definitely going to be contenders for the top of that league. Um, and at worst, they'll finish, you know, probably around the two or three, um, somewhere in the, the middle of the high part of the pack there. Yeah, I mean, the Coastal just continues to bring up some interesting questions. I know I posted that article this morning, uh, pretty much like right before the, the George Kent Syracuse news broke. Um, you know, like what if Syracuse in the Coastal last year? It ends up like, um, we ended up going down a win, but overall, like I mean, I was talking to, to Bud Elliott about it on Twitter, and like Bill Connolly was very interested in it as well during the Syracuse preview on SB Nation. Was you know how does it how would this team fare? How would this team fare last year, and how would it be set up for the future? Uh, and I think you know the coastal right now proves that it, it is anybody's division because if, if Duke, well, Duke has done a very good job, um, you know, building itself. Um, up from virtually nothing. Recruiting-wise, it's still kind of lagging behind um, Virginia Tech, the Miami, North Carolina, and that division, even even UVA. Um, so to me, uh, and, and to a lot of people, like maybe last year, things don't go as well because there's a much... Because, I mean, because there's a lot more depth at the top and in the middle, but I, I think long-term, you know, Syracuse might have been set up much better um, over in the coastal, just in terms of you know a, a forty to fifty recruiting ranking every year with, with, with a couple blue chippers, um, looks like it. I mean, even this year's team could have potentially netted out at, at eight or nine wins without much of an issue. Yeah, I can see it both ways because where in the Atlantic you really have the two big hurdles of Florida State and Clemson, and now Louisville um, is a fairly big hurdle, but not that one that we haven't seen and beaten before. Um, the bottom of that league is, I think, a lot more manageable, where you're kind of in a battle with a, a pretty decent team every week in the Coastal, except for Virginia, and you still never know if they're going to break out. Um, they're just not like the huge, insurmountable games, but there's less games that are just straight-up winnable, I think, or, or like at least probable wins. So it's, it's kind of choose-your-poison. I think being in the Atlantic, um, as your, your post showed, might have actually been to the benefit of Syracuse last year just because we did pretty well in the games that we had a good shot of winning um, overall. And, you know, even to have picked up another win at Pitt and 
So it's, uh, I don't know. I, I'm okay with where we are. It'd be nice if we didn't have to deal with Florida State every year, but then, you know, we also get the ability to say we get to play Florida State every year, and that's a pretty big recruiting draw for people. So I think it works out. I don't think there's any, like, perfect scenario with um, with regards to how the conference is laid out. But um, being in the Coastal, I think definitely, as you said, benefited Duke last year, where things were very even, and Duke, you know, won a couple games that it probably could have lost in other years, and they got to go to the ACC championship and went to a really good bowl. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, I, I think we're in the best possible spot, um, especially with Louisville coming in, or even if Louisville hadn't. Um, you know, we had a long-standing thing with Maryland, and that would have been nice to keep long-term. Like, we had things in common with Wake Forest. Obviously, Boston College is a long-time rival. And while Florida State and Clemson, I mean, Florida State never should have fallen from where to where they did in, in the mid part of, of this past decade. But um, I mean, you, you look at you look at the uh, the Atlantic overall, and it's been pretty ripe for for parity, um, much more so than the coast. And the coastal uh, has been won by Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech every single season except for last year, um, which is astounding that the Duke was the team that was able to break that streak. Um, you know, meanwhile, like Clemson's won the Atlantic three times, Florida State's won three or four times, BC's won twice, Wake's won once, and then won the whole league. Um, so, so I think uh, while we see, you know, Clemson and Florida State sort of lording over everybody now, and I think Florida State has staying power, um, you know, if, if, if an SEC power comes calling, I'd be very surprised if, if Devil Swinney wasn't, wasn't gone from Clemson. And I think that that, that could serve to really... Uh, really damage that team's chances. I mean, Clemson, obviously, has always been very good at football, but at the same time, um, they've always been very inconsistent as well. Um, and I think that in the long run, I think we'll be happy to to show what we can do against teams like that um, and, again, go up against peer institutions like Wake Forest and Boston College and, you know, a kind of slightly budding rivalry with, with Louisville that, I mean, rivalry isn't really the right word with them. I guess just it's just a heated, continuous match. That for some reason, every time we face them in any sport, um, things always seem like they come down to the wire. And and you know what? Like whether they're rivals or not, I think that's the type of team that, that you would always want to play um, year in and year out. Yeah, I think there's a lot of respect between the Syracuse and the Louisville Athletics. Um, aside from what Charlie Strong tried to make up things before the game and say that Ryan Nassib said stuff he didn't, that was really goofy. Um, but in general, I think the two teams always seem to match up well. Even, you know, having G-Rob knock off like a ranked Louisville team and there's just, it seems like there's always, it's never like a blowout. Um, especially recently since the basketball team, Syracuse basketball has fared better against Patino than he did, than, uh, than, than they did a couple of years prior where I think my first three years at Syracuse, we hadn't beaten Louisville in anything or in basketball, we beat them in football. But, um, the last couple of years, it seems like every every game's a pretty pretty a uh, pretty good one, so I, I don't mind playing them either. And their you know their fan base is really good um, and friendly. If anyone hasn't had the chance to hang out with Louisville fans at a basketball event, um, I recommend it. Uh, before the Big East tournament one year, we went to a bar um, and watched and and jointly cheered on Kentucky losing in one of those like weird SEC tournament games that they lose every so often. So I'm happy to have them on our side. It makes things a little more difficult, but, I mean, 
you, you what do you trade him for the chance to play Georgia Tech more often or you know it's, you're never going to get Florida State and Miami in the same division. You're never going to get Clemson and Georgia Tech in the same division. Um, so I think it worked out well. Yeah, fun fact. I uh, Syracuse never beat Louisville the entire time I was there in basketball. They beat them in the football one. The Greg Robinson yeah, that's ran like, Louisville and Pitt, for whatever reason, were those two teams that we just couldn't deal with. And then I think the first one against Louisville was it was oh, I can't. It was my senior year. It was the Fab Mello Deion Waiters team that beat everyone. Um, because that year we pretty much finished out whoever I, I hadn't seen our team beat in the Big East. They beat all those teams that year. So, um, and they beat everyone but Notre Dame in the Big East. So yeah. Uh, but since then, it seems like things have been a lot more even. And then obviously with the, the Michael Carter Williams team had that awesome win against number one Louisville at the uh, at the Yum Center. So all these things are good, um, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have Louisville in the league. I don't know why we're talking about Louisville so much in the Duke podcast, but uh, but um, it's just a really good addition and upgrade over Maryland, and Maryland sucked. So, yeah, it's, a, it's good stuff, and I'm excited to have them. Same. All right, Duke, we're getting back to you. We have an entire podcast about Louisville, actually. Hopefully not. Um, talk to Mark Ennis about joining us for that one. He is always great to chat with about football and basketball, and, and I'm sure you know he's he's glad to be finally done with conference realignment and all the tumultuousness that was conference realignment. I mean, who who is, yeah. who's, who's ever really done with it though? <laughs> well, I know I saw that uh, that great piece by uh, Bill Connolly today over on uh, Rock M Nation. And what if yeah. uh, what if Missouri ended up in the Big Ten instead of the SEC? I haven't had a chance to check that out, but it is interesting how that that whole thing was weird because it seemed like Missouri was so into getting into the Big Ten, like there was the, their overtures to getting into that conference were like equal, if not more so, to UConn's getting into the to the ACC. Um, and it's also weird to see the SEC take a team that another conference didn't want, but. <laughs> Well, they're a better fit. And honestly, like if you're, they were a better fit. They weren't a better fit than Nebraska necessarily, but there's certainly, I mean, in an ideal world, the Big Ten, the the, the Big Ten and Nebraska, Missouri, and Kansas, in a small, you know, period of time, and expansion and fair for them. But obviously, that didn't happen. It probably wouldn't have been better for the ACC though, because the SEC might have looked after looked at. Virginia Tech or uh, one of the Carolina teams. So I'm kind of happy it worked out as it did. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. I, it's, it's tough to play God in, in those situations, but but I do think things could have, could have and I mean, hopefully don't ever uh, shake out very differently than they actually managed to. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, do football. Uh, right, that that like that, that that the thing that we actually can't make fun of anymore because they've had a ten win season more recently than we have. Uh, so yeah, last year's running game was not good, uh, but at the same time, like I, I think the big story of of Duke's season was what happened when the running game did better than expected, and um, and how they're going to replace, like I said, somebody like Brandon Connett who. Was was a godsend 
you know, as, as kind of the second quarterback. And sometimes it even just put them both in the backfield. Um, and I just think that that scared the crap out of out of a lot of defenses who really had no idea, um, you know, who to cover, who to guard, um, and, and it resulted in a lot of chaos. Um, again, this Duke team didn't run the ball well, but when, but at the times when when the running game was least effective, um, they were infinitely better. Um, it was a stark departure, I think, from from the pass happy attacks uh, that uh, that Sean Renfrey kind of kind of headline for, for his four years um, down in Durham. Um, where I still worry, I mean, obviously, beyond the, the running back position, um, where I still worry about Duke is, is offensive line. They've just never, they've never really been able to get that size up front. Um, while Syracuse has eventually, like, fixed that, because I think for, during most of the Greg Robinson era and the beginning of the Marone era, we, uh, we just couldn't recruit size of teams, and I think Duke still kind of mired in that. But obviously, well, I do understand the offensive line. I'll, I'll defer to you, Dan, because I know that it's much more your specialty than mine. Um, last year, the stats bear out that they were pretty good. Um, they ranked 20th in, in adjusted line yards in the in the nation, according to, to Connolly's piece, which I have up now, and is a tremendous resource. Um, I, they, the thing is they, they bring back three guys with significant starting experience, uh, Lincoln Tomlinson, I believe, was on Phil Steele's uh, All-ACC first team, so at right guard, which is nice for them. Um, and then they bring back left tackle to Toby Cofield, who uh, started 30 games. So they have two decent spots, and then Matt Sierra started it for a season um, at center. But, you know, they do have to put, replace two linemen, which isn't too crazy. But um, I don't know a ton about how their line played last year. I, I, I watched a decent amount of Duke, but... It's always t- it's it's difficult to really tell what a line can do when you have a mobile quarterback, and while um, they can have, uh, um, oh, sorry, Anthony Boone uh, runs a bit. Um, he only had about half the carries that Snead uh, that uh, that Connett did. So I don't know if that's going to be a focus on uh, their offense going forward, or if they're going to try to keep him in the pocket more often. Um, a quarterback who can break contain really helps a lot of offensive lines just because it takes the pressure off of them um, in terms of pass protection and it you know makes the defensive line have to think about another thing. So if they if they try to focus on, on Boone sticking in the pocket more, uh, I, I don't know if that'll expose something or if the line is just gonna kinda reload and be as solid as it appeared to be last year. Yeah, I mean I think that makes a good point. Um and to be honest, I think it almost distracts from just how good, um, you know, someone like Jamison Crowder is, who I consider to be one of the top playmakers in the entire ACC. Um, mm. it, it was it was funny, you know, last year. I, I thought that Crowder was good, but I I thought that he also benefited from Connor Vernon really take really taking the pressure off him uh, back in 2012. And it ends up that, that Crowder did even better uh, without Vernon in the lineup um, in 2013. And I guess... You know, like I said, I think the only thing that could distract from him is is that this line can't hold up the way it did last year. Um, and if this running, and if you know, there's not the same fear of the quarterback taking off. Um, I am curious how often he'll be able to get the ball. I mean, luckily, um, Crowder can be a deep option, but I do think he can operate out of, out of a slot type situation um, as well. So, so I think I think the line does really. Uh, 
those really kind of help his team rise and fall. But I do think that Crowder, Crowder can can just as easily be dragged down by that as much as he can also help mitigate that. Um, I, I expect him to have another big year. He he um, obviously loved the team last year. He had 108 catches, 1,350 yards. Um, he was targeted uh, almost 38% of the time, which is a pretty high number. And on top of that, they're bringing back um, five of their top six receivers from last season, um, all of whom caught at, at least 200 yards receiving last year. So they, they're, they're passing attack aside from the departure of Connett, is, is pretty intact from last year. Um, and Crowder, you know, found that really great success in that role with these same kind of characters in place. So I think, um, I don't know if his numbers will be the same as they were last year. It's, it's hard to go very far up from 108 catches and 1,300 yards. But I don't expect a huge drop-off if there is any. And maybe they will go up. I don't know. Maybe dude's passing attack only gets better. Oh, that's dead on. I guess then, if we have nothing to worry about necessarily in the offensive side of the ball, I think the defensive side of the ball is really uh, where people can be a bit concerned. I mean, it's not as if Duke defense was was excellent last year. I think that there were there were bright spots. Um, you know, we mentioned Cockrell obviously as a huge bright spot, um, but I mean overall, they're still only returning six starters. Uh, this year, and I do think they're going to miss a lot of, you know, again, a lot of Cockrell's uh, production over in the uh, over in the safety position, or the cornerback position, sorry. But, you know, on the defensive line, um, they still only have one guy coming back uh, from last year, Jamal Bruce. I mean, there's depth, and there's definitely uh, some experience there. There's, there's a ton of seniors and juniors um, that'll be slotted into those positions, but, you know, at the same time, um, it this is probably going to be uh, going to be where this team uh, rises or falls, um, and, and if they they're able to um, to stay around, you know, eight, nine, ten wins, or if they maybe fall back down to earth around six or seven. Um, I mean, if they last year they they did a, a much better job than they had in previous years of getting after the quarterback and, and generating pressure, um, both in the run and the pass game, but. I think that this is this is a major cause for concern for this team this year, uh, in this like adjusted four two five that they run. Is like how how are you going to be able to generate that pressure um, in that front six uh, when you only have you know three three overly experienced guys or at least mildly experienced guys um, in, in that front area of the field? Yeah, I think defensive line is definitely probably the biggest area of concern on the entire roster that I can see. Um, they got off to the quarterback well last year, but they lose um, 13 sacks off the defensive line with uh, Kenny Anu- uh, Anuki or um, Anunike. Uh, don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, but then Justin Fox and Jonathan Woodruff. They bring back, um, I think, five sacks total uh, out of their, their defensive ends, um, as well as uh, Nose Dart Jamal Bruce, which isn't a huge number. Um, linebackers. Their linebackers are, are really good and experienced. They bring back pretty much everyone from that core. I actually don't see any linebackers having graduated last year, um, which is a good sign for them. And they have a couple well-regarded guys. Telby Brown was a first-team All-ACC on Phil Steele's list uh, that we talked a little bit about. Um, and then they have David Helton, too, who's on the second team there. So, But but 
looking at the stats from last year, they didn't really use their linebackers for a lot of pressure. Um, so, I'm you know I'm not sure how much they're going to have to change that. I don't know if they're going to try to look to blitz more because they lose uh, most of the defensive end productivity. Um, but if they can't get out the quarterback, that might that's obviously going to hurt the secondary, um, which on paper looks like it should be pretty good. It returns a lot of players aside from Cockrell, who's a huge loss. But without him back there taking away one side of the field, um, I don't know if there's going to be added pressure on those corners to lock up their guys or those safeties to try to prevent uh, plays from going deep if the the quarterback uh, isn't feeling pressure like it did last year. Yeah, I mean, on the corners, I, I do... I do admit I didn't see a ton of, of the current, the new starters, uh, game tape wise. Though I do remember uh, the performance that uh, that Breon Borders uh, put in in the ACC title game, um, you know, at the corner spot. I mean, he's only a, a rising sophomore now, but two picks against the Heisman winner James Winston. Um, to me, that I mean, I mean, it, at least speaks highly to to where his ceiling might be. Um, but looking at this group, I mean, that, that is so heavily reliant on, um, you know, a, a secondary that, that at times can seem not as fast or not as big as it needs to be and partially reliant on, like, is Jeremy Cash, what, what is he, Johnny Cash's great-grandson? I don't remember the official word on that. <laughs> but that's pretty much what they're relying on, and I guess... Dan, do you buy into this 4-2-5 set? I know not a ton of teams run it. Um, I know Duke does, and West Virginia does. Um, there's a couple other teams here and there. But, I mean, do you think the 4-2-5 could be a detriment this year, especially, um, especially when they have to replace so much in that front six and really you're, are going to kind of have to pin their ears back a ton? I mean, last year, this is a group that gave up, uh, you know, almost seven yards per play on first down, which I just found out. I opened up a page to Athlon's uh, yearly preview, and, and that was a stat that, that spoke to me immediately. Actually, it was highlighted by Bill Connolly in Athlon. Uh, and, and I found it to be a very, not, not only startling, but, but almost almost counterintuitive to to any sort of success as a defense, if you're going to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have to look at it more. Um, it depends on how much, how comfortable they have they are having Jeremy Cash play up on the line because with a lot of their defensive linemen gone, um, A, I'm not sure how much they're going to want to roll with just two linebackers, and that's probably their strongest group. And I don't know how they're going to want to do that uh, when they play some really strong rushing teams like a Miami. Um, so it, it worked out for the most part last year, but it helped that they had Cockrell and they helped that they had um, – you know, two very solid defensive ends uh, to provide a lot of pressure. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they if they adjust or if they want to just keep on doing what they did last year, which was fairly successful. Although it wasn't the best defense in the world by any means, they did give up 58 points to Pitt, as I said before, which is crazy. I know that Tom Savage is coming um, and should have been a first overall pick in the NFL draft, but 58 points to Pitt's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't really believe in the Pitt offense. I don't think it's a real thing, as I mentioned. Um, so I, I, do, I do chalk up some early season uh, results, though, to still figure things out. I mean, you look at what happened yeah. us against Penn State. You look at what happened us against Northwestern. I mean, I still think we would have lost Northwestern, but, um, you know, with, with different personnel and, and 
and, you know, schemes settled in a little bit. I mean, granted, Duke wasn't nearly facing the amount of uh, turnover that we were, but nonetheless, I, I sometimes can chalk some, some early season results up to, uh, to, you know, just getting the rust off. That said, 58-55 against that team just seemed impossible to me. Then, and yeah, then, that was a hard game. <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, sort of reach halftime, but uh, before we jump into halftime, also like to uh, give another shout-out to our sponsors, Audible.com. Uh, we are very, very proud to be sponsored by them. Uh, again, they're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. And have over 150,000 titles to choose from. Uh, you know, for some, I mean, I, know I don't have much of a commute. Uh, mine's only about 20 minutes, but for those who maybe have an hour commute, whether that's on a train or on a bus or in a car, a uh, perfect way to, you know, keep up with reading um, while still, uh, you know, while still obviously focusing on the road or doing work or, or anything else you're doing. And again, um, if you sign up at the URL uh, that, that we're providing, that's audibletrial.com slash newsmagician.com, uh, you can get a free audio book and, and a one-month trial of the service. Uh, notice a couple of books that might be of interest to the audience today. Um, Mike Krzyzewski's uh, Beyond Basketball, Coach K's Words for Success, if, uh, if that's something you're interested in. Uh, there are no books about Duke football. I did look for that tie-in. Uh, they do not exist, uh, or at least they don't on audiobook yet. Um, also, Tales from the Duke Blue Devils Locker Room, collection of the greatest Duke basketball stories ever told. Um, those are pretty much all from the Mike Krzyzewski era, I would assume, um, and I would hope that none of them include that time Jim Beheim ran on the floor. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, those are just... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that <laughs> How new is this book where that would even be in that? I, I think it's, it's at least like probably two years old. So very unlikely for that to be in there, but nonetheless. Um, again, if people are interested, uh, audibletrial.com slash newsmagician. Um, we'll have the post. Uh, we'll have the URL uh, down there. That's audibletrial.com slash newsmagician. Get yourself one free audio book and a free month trial of service. Yeah, now that we finished talking about reading, let's talk about things that prevent you from being able to do so. That is drinks. Only if you try really hard, though. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I drank so much I couldn't read. <laughs> but I might be just speaking for myself. I don't often try to read books after drinking, um, so I can't really comment. Yeah, uh, what, did you, uh, what did you drink this week, Dan? Um, nothing good. <laughs> I was uh, I was at Governor's Ball Music Festival in New York this weekend, all weekend, and their drink selection consisted of Miller Lite, which is garbage, um, Foster's, which is also really bad, um, Red's Apple Ale, which I did not drink, but um, apparently everyone else in the world did. I've never seen so much of this stuff in my life. Um, and the occasional tent would have like a... a Myth and Forge Hard Cider, which I did not have, or uh, Line and Cool Shandy, which was probably the best beer available, and it's half lemonade. So that's what you, all you need to know about what my drinking options were this weekend. So I really didn't drink that much. I just walked around and got sunburned and listened to music. So um, I had, like, a, I think a Miller Lite and a Foster's, and that was enough. 
for me. So not a huge beer weekend for me. Uh, I was actually disappointed. I thought there would be, like, some local New York beer options since there's so much, like, local New York food and stuff that was there, but not so much this year. Um, hopefully next year. That's a bummer. I did see I did see some of your photos and some of the other people I know that were there. Photos. It looked pretty awesome. Definitely. Yeah, but it's a time otherwise. So. No, no real complaints. Just not a great drinking uh, event. Unless you really yeah, like red apple. <laughs> I, uh, I was too busy watching my team uh, lose in overtime in a crowded Staples Center full of opposing fans. Was a it was not fun. Obviously, worth it to go, and uh, definitely wish I hadn't driven there because I could have used several beers after that game. It happened. Uh, some things that I drank this weekend, um, not out of complete and utter sorrow. Uh, Figueroa Mountains uh, Hurricane Deck Double IPA. Uh, they're from around here, so unfortunately, unless you're out in Southern California, you're unlikely to be able to locate it. I was at OC Beer Fest, um, as I mentioned last week. Um, and great time. Had some nice sun. It uh, wasn't too crowded. Got to watch the horse race and just kind of relax for the for Saturday afternoon before watching my team lose in overtime for a second straight game. Um, I'm not a big fruit beer fan, but I had the uh, the Dudes uh, Blood Orange in their Juice Box series. It's uh, pretty much tastes like a creamsicle. I was Highly impressed by the fact that it didn't just taste like sugar water. It was actually like a legit beer that just so happened to taste like a delicious dessert. So for those, again, yeah, those again on the West Coast, I would highly recommend that. Um, as well as Far Out IPA from Bootleggers Brewery down in Anaheim. And I also got to enjoy last night, and again, enjoy is all relative until the Rangers lose. Um Stones enjoyed by 7414 IPA. Most people are familiar enough with their enjoyed by series. Uh, they're delicious double IPAs that are brewed with a very distinct expiration date. Um, this one is a very patriotic expiration date, but I made sure to enjoy it well before that, um, as I do like to drink them earlier in the release cycle, as they are better, though not like mind blowing ones, so, but nonetheless, better. So yeah, that was uh, that's what I've been drinking. That'll help not segue us very well at all into mine and Dan's favorite practice: going down the schedule and picking whether teams will win or lose. Um, sometimes, contrary to everyone else's beliefs, see Duke football 2013, or exactly in line with everybody's beliefs and be completely right. See Virginia football 2013. This is the most uh, Mike Francesi in this podcast, Death. <laughs> oh, man. Brings me back. We don't get Francesa out here, really. That's a, that's a shame. I mean, if you have Fox Sports 2 or whatever he shows up on now, uh, you probably you can see, see you know, the Pope of Sports do his thing. But uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy listening to Francesa for, just for the sheer – ridiculousness of that show. Um, not that I do. I, I only really do it when I'm driving places, though. I don't spend my day doing it. But um, this, is a, this is a common practice when the NFL schedule comes out where he will just sit there and list win or loss for multiple teams, and it's, it's great radio. 
I don't listen to much sports radio, though, admittedly. Um, I mean, and, and I have the the blessing of being able to listen to Vince Scully on, on my way home. If I'm leaving, like, a little after, if I'm leaving a little bit later, the Dodgers game has started already, or if the Dodgers are, are out of town, you have to listen to the magic that is Vince Scully narrating us through. I remember last week, I think it was last week, like a, a random Nat King Cole story that he decided to, to riff off on I mean, for the entire, like, inning. I, I heard maybe, like, two pitches described to us, and besides that, it was just the Nat King Cole story. And it's pretty much the Vince Scully experience in the best way possible, though. I mean, the guy's a legend, and, and, and I do enjoy a uh, little Vince Scully in my life once in a while. Yeah, baseball, baseball uh, radio on the radio is great. If you have good announcers, like uh, I'm a Mets fan, and we're lucky enough to have a really good crew um, with Howie Rose on the radio. So I always, I always end up sitting in my car for a little longer when a Mets game's on, and it's usually nicer to be able to listen to it than actually watch. Have to watch that team do embarrassing <laughs> things. So um, they they should regret it well. Years and years as a fan, Dan, so I, I definitely understand the pain. I still I still root for the Mets, obviously, and I'll, I'll be wearing a Mets hat at Dodger Stadium in August, but I, uh, <laughs> I will, I'm definitely not as passionate as I, as I might have once been. It's hard to be. It's numbing. It, it, it is. They pretty much force you not to be. And yeah, speaking of things that people usually aren't big fans of, do football. Uh, so yeah, certain first, well, Duke has done a very good job in recent years of, um, you know, the Rutgers approach, and this is something that I think a lot of us have been preaching for years. For Syracuse to do, they refuse, so, you know, this happens, uh, you just kind of deal with it. Um, Duke schedules, like, four cupcakes and non-conference play, but, like, names that you would still recognize, um, beats up on them and then has been able to raise their program profile by virtue of starting out the season with four wins. Um, a couple of years ago, it was usually three cupcakes and uh, and Stanford, but uh, the, now they've kind of moved to just all cupcakes all the time, uh, which, again, props for them, because when you start the season with four wins, and you can you can go as, as poorly as two and six in, in league play and still make a ball. Uh, that's, that, that's smart program running. We have to give them credit there. Uh, week one for them, uh, Elon Phoenix down in Durham. That is a win for Duke uh, by quite significant margin. But uh, I, I am curious to see this game, to be honest, just because I want to I wanna see some of the things we talked about earlier, and I want to see how Boone does without Connick um, kind of helping him out. Yeah, that's a win. And like you said, this is a nice – Duke really helps itself with this schedule because um, – Things are tough for them in the ACC this year. That they that it doesn't shake out too too well, but um, they should be able to put four up pretty quickly. Uh, so good on them for for doing this. And I'm sure their fans don't really care about not scheduling a powerhouse. I mean, Duke is expanding Wallace Wade Stadium to fit like I think 38 by this year or next year. I don't know that. Good for them. Yeah, I mean. To be honest, we should probably downgrade how many people sit in the dome. But, I mean, if you can fit 38 in, on that field every game, that's that's a big positive step in the right direction for that program. Um, one day I'll try to get down there for a football game, though I haven't really heard much like to brag about in terms of the game day experience. 
Yeah, that's down on my list. Unfortunately, maybe it'll change, but I'm more excited to get to Clemson and a couple other places first. Agreed. Uh, so next weekend at Troy. Um, Troy at one point was maybe a peskier Sun Belt opponent, um, but as they've been left behind by a lot of the expansion uh, tumult over the years, um, and as their comrades all went to USA, uh, I just think that Troy's going to be woefully outmatched, especially on the defensive end. And um, if, if Boone is firing on all cylinders uh, early in this one, uh, this is going to be a laugher by half. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, a couple of years ago, Troy, the Troy Duke game probably wouldn't have been as easy to pick. Um, but this year, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Duke will be good enough to get by them. Uh, they're not the worst uh, mid-major of all ever or anything, but uh, I don't think there's a lot of expected out of them this year. And uh, Duke should be pretty decent, so taking the Dukies. Also, nice of uh, nice Duke to head down to Troy. That is, a, that is surprising to see on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, when it was scheduled, it probably wasn't so crazy. Right. I, I, I really don't expect to see that happen again. But good on Troy for getting that return date. Um, the next week, uh, Kansas, another game that probably didn't seem so lopsided when it was scheduled. Um, this is going to get ugly. Cause I don't yeah, I think Charlie Weissner run players out to reload the talent or whatever. Hasn't really worked out. He's a really dreadful coach. Um, I don't know why Kansas is so invested in him. Um, but, yeah, I don't expect much from Kansas. Uh, so I'll take Duke. That's what yeah. would be more fun. Yeah, I, well, I think the Jayhawks, you know, like, I don't know, like invest in an assistant or something. Like, you don't, you didn't have to spend all that money on Charlie White. Like, you could have bought a high-priced assistant. Like, not even a high-priced assistant. You could have bought like, any assistant. Go, go to get, like, a hot, like, 30-year-old offensive mind and take a shot with him. Worst taste is not going to be worse than Charlie Weiss. Like, or worst taste will be just as bad, and you'll just try again. But why, like, Charlie Weiss is such a low ceiling. Yeah, it, when programs like them do things like this, it baffles me. I mean, you got, uh, what's his name, down in, down in Old Dominion. Like, you got, uh, who else was it? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting all these names now. Um... The guy who was at Rice, like all these other places that like that their coaches would probably jump to leave to a major conference, not because they don't like where they are, but because it's a new opportunity. And like even going further down, you know, like uh, I mean, Wyoming grabbed uh, Wyoming grabbed uh, Craig Bull, the uh, North, North Dakota State coach. Like Kansas, you lost to him. Like why don't why didn't you try to get him? Like, it's just like they, they they thought they found a pretty big name, which Weiss is. He's a big name, and that's literally it. Like, he's just not a good coach. Notre Dame, he somehow coached a couple wins out of uh, Ty Willingham's players, but once he got his own in there, he couldn't do anything. He was awful at Florida as the coordinator. He wasn't good in the second in the NFL. Like, he just hasn't put together a good coaching job since he was with the Patriots, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, I I think it's, at this point he's really coasting on, like, borrowed time. Um, and it's going to be, you know, interesting. To say, they're going to get rid of him this year. That, that seems I feel like they just, like, gave him, like, a 
I don't know if they gave him an extension, but there was something about basically they were asked if they were if he was on the hot seat, and they really. I mean, I know that a uh, you know giving a guy like um, you know saying he's safe is not ever mean anything, but it just seems like they're just very into having Charlie Weiss as their coach. Um, and I get that it was a bad situation. It's not like he stepped in and like ruined something. Turner Dill did an awful job there, but. Like, just do something exciting if you're Kansas. Cause you really have no, like, you really ha- are in a bad spot. So give a guy who has a lot of upside and potentially can turn that thing around or, or be exciting. Charlie Weiss is not exciting. There's nothing exciting about him. Yeah, uh, I just think, you know, if you're looking to energize the fans, Charlie Weiss is not the higher, not the higher. No. And that's all the Kansas football talk we'll ever have, so. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Yeah, and then uh, game four. Another game that probably looked closer when it was scheduled. Um, Tulane comes up to Wallace Wade. Um, Tulane is going to be a, a full team next year, but that said, I mean, Duke's going to handle them just fine. We handled them last year with a team that was that was not as not anywhere near as talented as this Duke team. Um, so Duke wins uh pretty handedly. Yeah. I mean that Tulane win for us last year ended up looking pretty decent, but uh after we smoked them, but um Duke will probably do similar things. Uh their offense is better than ours was last year by a decent margin. Um Tulane, I don't know if they're trending up or trending down. It seems like um uh I forget the coach's name something Johnson, Curtis Johnson? Yes. I think it's Curtis Johnson is doing a pretty decent job there. Um, but Duke is pretty good, so I, I don't – yeah, it's Curtis Johnson. Um, don't see him beating Duke next year. But he's doing a nice job, and they're getting – I think they have a new, their new stadium this year, for, for which is good for them, because that's watching that Syracuse-Tulane game in New Orleans in a literally 90% empty uh, uh, dome was embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, it's good for Tulane that since Hurricane Katrina, instead of leaning back on that and, um, you know, as an excuse of why athletics was, was failing, they actually decided to use that as an opportunity to reinvest. Um, I mean, I don't think they're ever going to get back to the undefeated season of 1998. Um, but that said, um, I definitely uh, I definitely see them as, as a rising star. And to be, if there's one thing in the American Athletic Conference as well, it might have been grabbing Tulane before everybody else kind of realized, um, you know, I mean, not like they were really going anywhere, but grabbing Tulane still, but though before they real like people realized that they were, um, that they were a rising uh, program. I mean, again, not, they're not getting back to the heights of 1998, but, but they could very well be a consistent, um, especially over there um, in that West, in that eventual Western division. That's not really going to feature a power program, um, I could definitely see them, you know, cranking out eight wins a year. Yeah, there's no reason they can't be as good as like Tulsa was for a couple of years, or you know, being one of those fairly fun to watch. Um, I mean, it's a team that can probably steal a recruit year there. It's in New Orleans. If you, if you wanted to have fun in college, I mean, there's worse places to go. I think um, they'll have a nice new stadium that seems to be an appropriate size and not just dwarfing the status of their program, which is the problem with with the with the dome. Um, 
and you know it's really good recruiting ground, and he seems and Johnson seems to be doing a pretty good job. So I think uh, and it's a good school. They can get some, you know, they can sell that as well. It's a very similar academic school to Syracuse, actually, um, profile-wise. So I, I thought that was actually a, an interesting move by the AAC. A lot of people made fun of it, but I mean, what are you going to do at this point? You know, it, it's it's a, a team that at least has a little bit of potential. Um, and worst case, they're not good, but a lot of that conference isn't. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting program, but uh, Duke should handle them fine, I think, next year. Okay. So, Saturday the 27th, this game, I'm kicked off because, I mean, I'm, I'm, missing this, I'm missing this entire football weekend for a wedding that I'm not pleased about. But that's mostly because of the fact that I'm missing football. Um, Duke and Miami should be a great game. But what do we think? I mean, we're going to talk about this plenty during the Miami podcast. But what does this team do without Ryan Williams? Is there enough talent on that offense, even with a freshman quarterback, to, to beat a team like Duke, or is Miami doomed to have another, like, mediocre finish? Um, I think it really depends on Duke Johnson. Uh, he's a really good back. Um, I think he's going to give Duke um, the team, not the running back, uh, problems. Uh, assuming he's healthy, but that's really going to be the determining factor for for the Hurricanes this year. Um, they're a tough team to, to predict. I'm going to give them the win, just being at home in this one. But I haven't looked at them enough going into the season to really decide how good they'll end up being, um, or whether or not the, the U is back. I still don't think it is, but we'll see. Every year, you have to ask that question. I love the But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know if I buy into Miami without Ryan Williams. Um, with him, I mean, this was a potentially nine, ten win team. Um, if things broke right without him, this is maybe seven, eight win team at best. And probably like a seven, eight win team. Um, yeah, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Miami, like just for the same reason you did at home. But uh, but I could very easily see Duke winning this, and I mean, if they did, screw it. Like a five and zero start pretty much has them off and running, and and they could be looking at you know another run of the division title. I mean, there's nobody again, there's nobody on the schedule that it really like screams you as like sure Duke lost, but who knows? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to loss for Duke here, but I, I would not be surprised if the other if the other result happens. Mm. So uh, they get a week off, and then uh, they're headed down to Bobby Dodd Stadium, which I never want to see Syracuse play out again, uh, to face Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Um, they got destroyed by Georgia Tech last year, and it was early in the year. It was 38-14. to 14. It was week three uh, for them. Um, this game is at Georgia Tech this year. I'm going to take Tech just because, again, I don't know. There, there are questions about that defense. And this isn't a def- an offense you want to play when you have major questions. I think it'll be a lot closer, um, and I think Duke will score more than 14 points. But uh, just if anything, Tech being at home and, and the fact that they just really gave Duke problems last year, I'm, I'm going to take them again this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, very low on Georgia Tech this year. But with that said, home game against a Duke team that doesn't really look suited to beat them. And it doesn't mean that Duke's bad. It just means that 
Duke doesn't look capable of handling this triple option, no matter who's the quarterback. Um, uh, Justin Thomas doesn't look bad in, in, in the spurts that he's had, you know, been under center, and I think he'll he'll be able to do a decent job, though maybe not the same one that Dadley did. Um, I'll take Georgia Tech, but just because they they're losing these first two games in ACC play, I don't really consider that to be a black mark for them. I think it's just how the schedule fell. And they could certainly win either of those games. Right. And speaking of winning games, Virginia. They head down to Duke. I do not see this going well for the Cavaliers. Uh, I just think the Virginia offense uh, doesn't know what it's doing uh, unless Grayson Lambert suddenly turns into like the second coming of Matt Schaub. Um, this offense is going to struggle. Um, it's going to be very one-dimensional. Uh, the defense, however, is, is, I mean, it's the hallmark of any Mike London team is it's going to be very good. Um, so, you know, just going to have to get creative with how it wins this game. But with that said, I, I do see the Blue Devils pulling it out to get to five wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you here. Uh, Virginia is just still kind of an anomaly. Um, not, not a, the offense is, a, is going to struggle. Their defense, I think a lot of people are high on. But I think Duke's offense did enough to overcome that, and um, I just don't have a lot of faith in Michael London teams at this point. So I think Duke will win that one pretty handily. Right. Another open date at Pittsburgh. Um, they head to Heinz Field on November 1st, where it could be pretty chilly already. Uh, with that said, I people are kind of high on Pitt this year, and like I don't know if I again I just don't know if I buy that. Um, I'm picking Duke uh, just because I think that um, it seems like they played well enough on the road last year. Um, I just think that they're the more experienced team. I think Pitt has, if Pitt has replaced Donald adequately, they'll figure this out by now. But um, I, I just think that Duke might have a few too many weapons for, for a defense that, uh, that will probably lack like a primary uh, playmaker. Um, yeah, I'm going to take Duke. Um, I thought about taking Pitt here uh, with the name Matt Pitt, um, but they replace a lot. Um, obviously, they lose the God Tom Savage. They lose uh, Aaron Donald. Um, Devin Street, who was just a great receiver for them for years, is gone. Uh, they should have a nice running game, which is why I'm, I'm tempted to take Pitt because uh, the running back should give uh, the Duke front some trouble. But um, tempt, uh, I'm going to lean towards Duke here. Uh, just because I feel like they're going to be a team that just I, I just feel like they have a little more talent than Pitt right now. Proven talent, anyway. I think I think that's the big differentiator here. And at Syracuse, um, I really want to pick SU, but I know that it's not. Well, it's not. I know it's not going to happen. I just it's unlikely to happen. Um, I think. I think Bill Connolly kind of hit it on the head uh, the other day. Um, I don't think it tempers my expectations, but I think it does at least help establish a little more a little more realism in what we can what we can look at it from this team. Uh, and I just think that you know it, it's going to rely a lot on on Hunt and and McDonald's offense really being able to take a, a couple steps forward um, and zero steps back at the same time. Uh, 
I think we'll lose the game, though not by much. I think that, again, like we were saying earlier, if SU was in was in the Coastal this year, I think they'd be contending for a division title. So I don't think the distance between these two teams is that bad. But um, for a team that's a lot faster than they used to be in Duke, um, I, I think the uh, the artificial terrace of the Dome uh, kind of fits right into what they want to do with the football. Um, I'm going to go out and take the homer pick here. I'll take Syracuse. I think our running game is going to be very good this year, especially um, when they get Hunt going. Um, and I think we'll see at least at least three or four viable 100-yard rushers in any given game. Um, not all at the same time, but I just think that we're going to be very multidimensional there between PTG and Morris and um, McFarlane and then Hunt and even maybe uh, Adonis. I, I just think that our strength on offense kind of plays into where we have questions about Duke. Um, and then, obviously, Schaefer's always, uh, his teams are usually pretty good against the run where Duke struggles uh, or is, is projected to struggle. Um, I think we'll make them one-dimensional enough where and control the clock enough to uh, to pull out a win. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much only a homer pick, but I'm going to do it. And it's at the Dome. So we'll roll with the Chiefs there. I'd buy it. I mean, honestly, if it was if it was a Friday night game, there'd be no doubt in my mind. I'd oh yeah, you put it on the board Friday night. <laughs> but yeah, you do bring up a good point. I think that does kind of pit um, our strength against their weakness. So that should uh, provide an interesting storyline. I mean, I could see this being a low-scoring affair just because. Um, you know, I, I think Syracuse with this do it. It's typical. Um, you know, Penitier is back, keep the game close, and then try to give yourself a chance to win at the end. But, yeah, it's another one. I mean, Duke, it's just like the, the entire Coastal Division. You know, nobody's far and away better than everybody else. Um, and, and this really could, you know, be a tight one and, and could kind of decide Duke's fate in, in the Coastal if, all, if things shake out a certain way. The yeah, it's really an important game for Coastal, I think. Um, in yeah. the Connolly preview, it's one of those swing games that SU really needs um, – so it, it should be a fun one. I'm excited to play Duke this year. I've, you know, as much as I'd like to play like Virginia and just pencil it in, um, Duke's a really interesting team to me. So it should be a fun game at least. Yeah, I think you know for Syracuse, I think there's two games that are going to be great gauges on. Well, two games, and, and I'll add a third in there too. They're going to be great gauges on the season and whether we progress or not. Like you can throw out the results against against like teams like Wake. Um, and then, like, some of the lesser non-conference opponents. And you can throw out the games against Florida State and Clemson as barometers. Um, I think the result against Notre Dame is big. I think the result against Duke is big. I think the result against Louisville, uh, I think all those are kind of going to be – if you take those three games in a microcosm, I think you're, you're really going to be able to get a good gauge on just how the Syracuse season went. Yeah, I think that's fair. Oh, look, the Miami Heat are roaring back. From being down thirty. Surprise. Yeah, Virginia Tech is next, and uh, there's people that think that this team can win the Coastal this year, and I, I don't know how you can win a division if you don't play any offense. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a the classic Tech team. Um, their defense will be really good. Their offense will plot, be plotting. Um, I'm taking Duke being at home, and because I feel like I need to take Duke now after 
picking us and almost picking Pitt. Um, just, you know, we'll have the home field advantage. I think they, they'll just be able to outshoot Virginia Tech, even if uh, even if Tech does figure out some offense. I just feel more comfortable with what Duke brings to the table at this point. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said it before, if, if Logan Thomas, if you're concerned on how you're going to replace Logan Thomas, that's not a good sign for your, for your team. Uh, because Logan Thomas was nothing to brag about. <laughs> and if you don't have a guy that can equal him um, on your roster, th- then there's definitely some, some bigger issues for your entire offensive group. Um, I've got Duke in this one. I've got some 8-2, uh, which I didn't really expect, though I feel like this is the exact same place you were at last year, Dan, having Duke around like 7-2 and two or 8-2 and two with like two games to go. Yeah, I'm a little farther down on them this year, but... Only because the schedule is a lot tougher. I have them right now at five, six. I know I have them the same thing. Seven and uh, what is it? Seven and three right now. Yeah. yeah, I have Syracuse and you don't. So pretty good. Now uh, this Thursday game against North Carolina. Um, I watched each of the last two Carolina Duke uh, football games. Intently, and I'd say they were much more entertaining than the last few uh, Carolina Duke basketball games. Um, thoroughly enjoyed, especially the 2012 edition. Um, but last year's was fun as well. Uh, I'm taking Carolina here just because I think Carolina is likely going to win that division. Um, but not by, I mean, again, it's coastal, so not by much. But um, I've got Carolina here uh, just because I think Duke's going to be a little worn down after a short week. Um, and facing that tech defense. Yeah, I'm thinking Carolina as well. I think they really uh, kind of figured things out last year. They Obviously, they lost to Duke at the end of the year, but um, I just think they're ready to take a big step forward. Uh, I think Larry Fedora is doing a nice job. Um, and just in general, I think that they, uh, they're going to improve more this year than Duke, uh, than Duke ends up improving. And it was a really close game last year, so I'll take uh, UNC in this one. Makes sense. And lastly, uh, Wake. Still in Durham. Uh, how Duke managed three straight home games to end the season, I do not know. But that's what they got. So Wake's going to be bad next year, and that proves advantageous for Duke. Uh, it's funny, uh, Duke had lost something, what was it, like 12 straight games to, to Wake Forest, and I think now they're, uh, this will be the second or third win in a row since breaking, like, since that streak. So, uh, I've got Duke, which for me puts them at 9-3, and three, and, uh, and a very serious contender for the uh, Coastal Division title is 6-2. and two. Uh, Duke has won two in a row. They beat Wake uh, in early 2012, 34-27, and then mid to late last year, 28-21. This one will not be close as close as either of those games. I think Duke will win by two or three touchdowns, um, and that gets them to eight wins for two years in a row. I think that'll uh, that'll be good. I don't know if that'll win the Coastal um, and put them in the ACC championship game. I think North Carolina uh, and Miami will have something to say about that, but that should get them a nice bowl for the second or third straight year, and uh, I think, again, they're going to have to put up with um, with coaching change rumors, because I don't know how long they're going to be able to, to hold on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only thing helping them now is that Cutcliffe's not exactly a young guy, 
and then I can think at least helps him like stick around. And he seems just to really he he seems to like building that program, but at some point, I mean, he's not like seventy um, unless I'm incredibly mistaken. Uh, and he has a really good pedigree. And once you've made three straight uh, bowls with Duke, someone's gonna have to try to hire the guy. Like he's just such a good coach. How is David Cutcliffe only fifty nine? That doesn't surprise me. Surprises me. <laughs> That's what about about what I thought. Um, I, I was surprised he didn't. I mean, I think Duke probably he just his his love of Duke probably helped. But I thought he was a goner this off season. Um, if he puts together another eight win season at Duke and another mid tier bowl, I mean that's a huge accomplishment. Um, at what is totally a basketball school, hard place to recruit. Not a, you know they don't have a flashy stadium or a lot of stuff to show off. Uh, the biggest selling point, I think, at Duke is that you get to play for Dave Tuckliff. Uh So it'll be interesting to see how, how it works out for them if uh, if they end up putting another another nice season, if they can hold on to him again um, while they try to make you know the stadium expansion and other things happen. But uh, either way, it's not a bad time to be a Duke football fan, and you probably haven't been able to say that for a long time. Yeah. I mean... Even if they if they fall anywhere in the seven and nine win range, I think that's still a pretty successful season. Um, and I am curious to see how the fan base deals with heightened expectations and the kind of shift. I know SU is dealing with this on a smaller level, um, but I think Duke is now kind of dealing with this on a, on a much more like macro sense. Um, you know, jumping from out of nowhere from from three win season to a ten win season uh, within two years. And Wake Forest kind of struggled with this themselves and then kind of had a very, you know, uh, stark falling back to earth um, in the last few years as, as they faced the cold reality of, of, you know, just because you won that, that division title at one time, it doesn't mean you can expect this to be a regular thing. Um, and it, it, it's a sad realization for a lot of programs. Um, I think we have our own sad realizations at SU. Um, but, yeah, I I am curious to see how the Duke fan base um shows up and how they start uh, adjusting their expectations toward, you know, what, what you can and can't do. If they pull it out, and I, I, I have very, uh, I have a ton of faith that they will end up being bowl eligible again. Um, I don't think there's any way they only win five games. Like, I think they're going to definitely win at least six or seven, probably close, probably seven or eight. Um, it would be the first time they had won at least six games in three straight years uh, since 1960 to 1962, when they won, they went eight and three, seven and three, eight and two. Those three years, so could be something to look forward to, Duke fans. Good for you guys. And uh, I guess that wraps us up. Uh, any parting shots, Dan? Uh, no. Uh, hopefully, you know, for 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 Duke. Um, last year we said they were going to win seven or eight games when everyone else said they would win three or four. Uh, so hopefully we didn't do the reverse this year um, by picking uh, kind of a similar number this year. Um, I have met eight wins. I think you have met nine. Uh, so hopefully for Duke fans that we don't, you know, cause the do the reverse things this year. But I'm pretty confident they'll be pretty good. So. Nice. All right, well. With that, uh, that was Dan, this is John, and this has been Training's Absolute Podcast in our, uh, now we can say annual, um, 
ACC football previews during the summer, uh, please be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast on iTunes, on TalkShoe, and uh, don't forget to, to click through and, and grab yourself a free trial of uh, Audible.com, our, our show sponsor today. Uh, again, excited to see Georgetown on the schedule again. Go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.